Christmas 2014 is now behind us, and can you believe we're about to look face-to-face with the year 2015? I, I can't believe it. Becky has said to me a couple of times this week, I, I just wear How did we get to Christmas this fast? How did we get here? It may be, you know, that as we get older, time tends to go faster and faster. Now, she's not getting older. I am. You understand that. But, um, yeah, I'll try to get out of that one easily. But we're, we are about to uh, cross off the year 2014 and move into the next year. And as we turn to the Word of the Lord today, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, and one more time, before we leave this season, I'm going to actually go back to the Christmas story once again. I know you may be ready to move on, but I found one more little idea I want to squeeze out of the book of Luke today. And uh, if you will go there, Luke chapter chapter 2. Chapter 3, good luck finding chapter 3. If you find that, let me know. And I'm going to give you something that is really deep and really heavy and really hard to understand today. You ready for that? Okay. But we're going to take this some thoughts going into the new year. There was a famous old writer, G.K. Chesterton, who made this statement about going to the new year. He said this, The object of a new year is not that we should have a new year, but that we should have a new soul going into the new year. How many of you are ready for something fresh from the Lord in in 2015? We're thankful for what he's done in the past. We're thankful for how he has seen us through 2014, but I'm ready for something fresh in 2015 from the Lord, and I know that you are too. I want to give focus this morning to a particular word um, that I kind of got hung up on this week and that I know you hear this word as often as I do. And if you have pen and paper, you may want to write down the three or four main points. We'll see how far I get today. There may be three, there may be four. We'll see how the Lord leads as we talk about this word. Those of you who have been in the choir for uh, many years will remember a songwriter that we worked, that worked, we worked with several times in recordings and we certainly learned much of his music. And his name is Dennis Jernigan. Does anybody remember Dennis Jernigan? course you do. Dennis was and is a prolific writer, and I only hear from him every now and again, not near as often as, uh, as when we were working together before, but he and his inspired music and are dearly loved by this, not only this choir, but also by this church. My goodness, there were many years where he supplied probably 70% or 75% of our worship material that we use in this place. Everything he was writing was speaking to us, and we were enjoying it so much. One of his songs that he wrote, and probably the most difficult to sing, it was a song that we sang, the choir will remember this, it was called, This Is My Destiny. This Is My Destiny. Now, it was difficult for a couple of reasons. One, it had lots of words in it, and we always teased Dennis, he was, you know, he would, some of the songs be very, very, very wordy, lots of syllables, lots of words. This particular song was what we call through-composed meaning it starts here at the beginning, and it really kind of goes all the way through. It never go, goes back and repeats, so there's not a, a chorus that you can kind of latch onto and say, oh, I can sing those four lines. Every, there was nothing that was ever repeated. It started here and went all the way through, through composed. And not only did it have lots and lots of lyrics to it, but it was also very rangy. It required a Gerard Wood type of range just about to sing it. So you, you combine those two things, very rangy and lots of words, and, and you've got a challenging song indeed. Nevertheless, we, the choir loved singing this song, and it was incredibly inspiring as it lyrically gave great testimony to the destiny that we have in God. And so you figured out by now, the word I want to focus on is destiny. 
Destiny is one of those words that we have in church that we throw around and somehow we have made it incredibly complicated. We've made it more difficult than it needs to be. I, you know, I, I grew up in church, as many of you did, and there's lots of words that we had that we've just made unbelievably complicated, and, and they can be much simpler. Some people take this word destiny, and they even try to make it spooky. What is your destiny? Some people try to shroud it in all kinds of mystery. And at the very least, some people try to take this word destiny, and by the time they're through talking about it, what you've realized is it's way beyond my reach. I'll never figure that out because they make it very, very complicated. However, I want to say this to us this morning. I think every one of us in this place is marked to do something for God. Every one of us. Are you going to amen this morning? All right. You parents of, of young children and, and even parents of, of, of young adults and older children, you should regularly pray for your kids. God, let them be exactly what you've called them to be. Now, you know, Becky and I are parents, and let me tell you, that's not as easy as it sounds. It's easy for me to stand here and say that. It's easy for me to stand here and tell you that's what you need to pray for your kids. God, let them be what you have called them to be. But can I tell you, as a parent... Uh, who made lots of mistakes over the years, one of the hardest things that, that there is to do as a parent is to give up your image of what your child is supposed to be. You're going to be awful quiet on me today, aren't you? It's difficult because one of the components that gets installed when we become parents is that we get this image, we get this idea of what that child of ours is going to be, what they're going to look like, how, what their career is going to be, who they're going to marry, what it's going to, everything about it. And we get that image in our mind. And guess what? This is going to be a newsflash for you. They don't always measure up to that. How many of you know that? So the discriminating parent, the godly parent, the one who wants to do the right thing, will come to the point where they say, Lord, let them be exactly what you have called them to be. And I will surrender my will, my way, my image, my agenda for the sake of yours because he's got a far better plan for them than you do. Can I get an amen to that? Now, destiny can be found in anything. And it doesn't have to be, as some people will suppose, that it's, you, you don't have destiny only if you're on staff at some ministry. Some people say, well, my destiny is going to be in ministry. Well, maybe God may call you to that, and bless the Lord if he does. But he may call you to something else entirely different, and that can still be your calling and your, and your destiny. I'm going to give you my very, very simple definition of destiny today, and it is this. It's doing what God wants you to do and being where God wants you to be. Hello. It's complicated, isn't it? I think your destiny is doing what God wants you to do and being what he wants you to be. I think it's that simple. I think it's doing what God wants you to do and being where he wants you to be every, every single day. So the question to you today is, what is it that God wants you to do, to, to do and where is it that God wants you to be? And I think it could be anything that God has called you to. Just do it for God. Do it unto him. I love what Dr. Martin Luther King said when he said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or as Beethoven composed music. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. It's not quite so easy to say. You try to say that. 
But I love that. Doing whatever it is that God has called you to do and doing it for the glory of God. Doing things because that's what you were designed and what you were intended to do. Doing what you're supposed to do and being where you are supposed to be. That's God's intention for every person in this house. And destiny is not, uh, not just for people who are CEOs or heads of companies. Destiny is not just something that fits into our, our Western culture that you have to be the most successful, the greatest title, the most uh, letters behind your name. It's not that. Destiny is what God has called you to do and being where he has called you to be. Now, I've already told you recently how worthless I am in the kitchen as a cook. I'm sure you remember that. Well, I'm here to let you know I'm equally as good at being a fix-it guy around the house. I'm just as good at that. I own a hammer, a screwdriver, a pair of pliers, I might have a, a pair of wire cutters, but that's just about it, and I need to let you know I'm completely dangerous with all of those, <laughs> completely dangerous. Some of you have heard me tell the story that, uh, Becky, you know, we've lived in our house 20-something years, and, you know, a few things need to be repaired, and, you know, wives tend to let that list grow and grow and grow, and she reached that point to where, um, she reached that point where she was... Uh, she reached that point, and um, <laughs> <clears throat> things need to be fixed around this place. And uh, so she, you know, and, I, and she just kind of threw it down one day. She said, Dan Smith, this was back when I was a minister of music. She goes, I'm telling you something here. Sometime the next period of time, you're not going to arrange another piece of music. You're not going to conduct another choir rehearsal. You're not going to plan another service. We're going to fix the stuff in this house. And I said what any good husband would say, yes, sir. You're going to take at least a week off, and we're going to fix everything that's wrong in this house. And, of course, I didn't say it at that moment, but I thought, I could take a year off and still never get all that stuff fixed. I'm... So as it happened, Ben and Cindy Ramatahali were new to our church at that time. And, uh, uh, and I, you know, I'd seen Ben and Cindy walking by a couple of times at the end of service and waved and kind of said hi. Well, he walked up. To, this was on a Saturday when she said this to me. Sunday morning, Ben walks up to me right here on these steps right here after the service he said, Pastor Dan, I just, I just wanted to meet you and shake your hand. And he said, I just want to let you know I'm a fix-it guy. I'm a repair guy, and that's what I do for a living. I said, you are an angel sent straight from heaven. Give me your card. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just in time, the Lord came through. Bless the Lord. I have one more thing in my toolbox that I forgot to mention, and it's my number one item for fixing things around the house, and it's this, duct tape. There is almost nothing you cannot fix with duct tape. Can I get an amen this morning? It don't matter what goes wrong in your house. Duct tape will fix just about everything. You break the window of a car, duct tape is on there, baby, right away. Put a hole in the wall, duct tape goes on, and we just paint right over it. It's great. Let me tell you something. I have stood on this platform and used duct tape to hem my pants on a Sunday morning. And don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You've done the same thing. But here's the amazing thing, church. Think about this for a second. None of those are things that are the intended use of duct tape. Think of what it's called. Duct tape. Now, it's not D-U-C-K, quack, quack tape, and that may be a revelation for some here this morning. I didn't know that. It's D-U-C-T, duct tape. And you know what it's supposed to be used for? It's for healing, healing, 
Yes, it heals lots of things. Hallelujah. It's for heating and cooling ducts. But we have found out how to use it for everything else, and most of us never use it for its designed intention because we've used it for everything else. And you know what's scary? That would be a scary way to live life. To live life doing everything that you were not designed to do. Utilizing the days and years that God gives you on this earth for everything else except what you're designed to be doing. To do everything that everyone else has called you to do and what everybody else wants you to do and find yourselves like duct tape hemming pants when we're supposed to be doing something else that God has called us to do. And here's what is the reality. Nothing is more exhilarating. Nothing is more exciting. Nothing will make you get up with joy in your heart in the morning than when you get to do what you are supposed to be doing and when you get to be where God has called you to be. You talk to anybody who's like a barber or a hairdresser, and I've talked to several of them, and they will tell you that 90%, you know, when people get in the chair of the barber or hairdresser, they just, they just spill their guts. Isn't that right, Stephanie? All of a sudden, all this stuff comes out. And they will tell you that 90% of the people who sit in their chair, rich or poor, are dissatisfied with their lives. 90%. Something about sitting in that chair just brings all of that out, all of their dissatisfaction with their life. And here's the truth. If anybody ought to be enjoying life, it ought to be those of us who believe in Christ Jesus. No, I said if anybody ought to be waking up in the morning just glad that he's given you new mercies for that day, knowing that he's going to see you through whatever, it ought to be believers in Jesus who ought to be enjoying life. Nothing is more of a reproach than when God saves us, he delivers us, and we don't enjoy the life he has given us. Nothing is more of a reproach to his name. And you and I both have seen people that that's, that's the case. If all we have, church, is to get up every morning knowing that we've been set free and that we get to go that day and love Jesus every single day, that ought to be enough reason to get you up with joy in the morning, to make you, up, make you get up tomorrow morning and thankful that God has saved you and redeemed you. But there's even more that God has for us. That's why I want to look at this word destiny for just a few minutes this morning. And I'm not going to look at it in a spooky way, but in a very, very, very practical way. When it comes to this word destiny, there are no shortage of preachers who will tell you to grab it and bring it down from heaven, and you're supposed to reach up your hand to get it, and you're supposed to do this and do that. I've watched all the nonsense. And I'm going to give it to you so practical today from this Christmas story that there is no way you'll miss it. It's it's, it's ridiculously simple how I'm going to give it to you today. So take your Bible and let's go to Luke chapter 2 and start with me at verse number 3. Luke chapter 2, verse number 3. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Now go back and look one more time at verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Jesus was to be born in what city? In Bethlehem. And we know that because in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, 
God speaks through the prophet and says that Jesus is to be born in the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. But here's the issue, according to what we just read. Where were Joseph, where was Joseph and his wife, who was great with child? They weren't in Bethlehem. They were in Nazareth. Now, how does that work out? Joseph and pregnant Mary are in Nazareth. But Jesus is to be born in Bethlehem. So now we have a problem. Here's Joseph with a wife who became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And now he doesn't know this, we presume. That child is to be delivered miles away from where they are. So how does he get that pregnant wife to deliver the baby in another city? There's no plane. There's no train. There's no automobile that's going to get her to Bethlehem. And what's interesting, extremely interesting to me, is this. The Holy Spirit never says, now go to Bethlehem to have the baby. It's not in the text. It's not there anywhere. There is no directive for that to happen. No word from God that he's supposed to be in Bethlehem for the delivery of the child. We don't have that anywhere in Scripture. Or that if he doesn't get there, that Joseph will be messing up the prophecy given in Micah 5.2 that, uh, that is supposed to be fulfilled. There's none of that. And one might think, now given these circumstances, the baby's supposed to be born in Bethlehem, but they're in Nazareth. I wonder if God's getting nervous about getting Mary to Bethlehem to deliver this child so that everything in Scripture works out the way that it's supposed to. When I was in high school, I participated in a couple of extracurricular musical groups. I think it was about ninth or 10th grade, somewhere around there. One was called Up With People. There was another one called the Serendipity Singers. And so, since I was part of the group with this funny name, Serendipity, I thought I'd better learn what it means. And so the most common definition is, is this, Serendipity. It's a surprise along the way. A surprise along the way. Another way of saying it is this. You went for one reason, but something entirely different happened as a result of you going. A surprise along the way. Not necessarily the reason why you went, but something else happened. So when someone says they had a serendipitous experience, it means nothing more than they, in that they embarked on some kind of journey, whether an actual travel or simply some kind of process. And though at the beginning there was one intended goal, they discovered that something else happened in that journey or in that process. You may, you may show up at church because someone invited you for Mother's Day or Christmas or Easter and then get saved, but you didn't come planning on having an encounter with Jesus Christ that was going to change your life. That's a serendipitous experience. You came for one reason, but something else happened. Well, here's the issue for Joseph. How or why does he get Mary to Bethlehem? Because this is about to become, a, become serendipitous. Are you ready for this? This is the first way that Joseph walks into his destiny, that spooky word that we're talking about today. Look how Joseph walks into his destiny. This message today comes with a warning, and that is this. I have three or four points, and you're not going to like any of them, okay? I just want to warn you that right now. You're not going to like them. How does Joseph enter into his destiny? He pays his taxes. I feel the love in the room. Verse 3. And all went to be taxed. 
everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife. He got there, listen to me, he got there because he went to pay his financial obligations. Sometimes we try to make this destiny thing so spooky when all the time God is simply saying, pay your bills and you'll be where you're supposed to be. We have a tendency to play around with the simple everyday issues of life, stuff like that that we put in a, a different category than our God category. Well, this is kind of what I do, and I can do this, and I can fudge here, and I can do this. And, and then we want to come to an altar asking God to tell us our, our destiny, and, and somebody lay hands on me and show me God's will. And, and God goes, here's your destiny. Pay your MasterCard bill. You love me? I got three more. Pay the person you borrowed money from. Pay them back. And here's what God does. Look at it. I'm telling you the truth. Because Joseph paid his taxes. He's exactly in the place he was supposed to be because he wrote the check he was supposed to write. Hallelujah. Now listen, I, I don't have much patience for these yahoos who feel like they've got some out or free pass from paying their tax obligation. I have no patience for that whatsoever. Read Romans 13. Go ahead and jump right to, to verse 6. That'll tell you exactly how the Apostle Paul feels about it. The Bible can be very, very clear in practical matters, and this is one of them. So how did he get to the right place at the right time? He, get there because, he gets there because he paid his bills. He was simply taking care of his financial obligation, and it wasn't some spooky thing. He was just doing what he was financially obligated to do. I, I had this thought that this, uh, yesterday, and that is this. I'm sure the finance committee would think this would be a great time, Pastor. I bet they're texting each other right now saying, I hope he talks about tithing. Surely he's going to talk about tithing right now. I'm not today. We will some other day. Hallelujah. Amen? <laughs> Just doing what you're financially obligated to do is what moved him to the place he was supposed to be. And that means this. Get ready, Dad. You could be in this place today, and maybe there was a mistake, and you had a child out of wedlock. You know what then, Dad? Pay the child support. I am losing friends fast. I've dealt with more than a few single moms where Dad has gone bye-bye somewhere, left to themselves to try to raise children. And I want to go grab them and say, pay up, buddy. You had a financial obligation. You need to pay. And the truth is, when you will choose to pay up and do what you're supposed to do, financially obligated, look what God will do with you. You will then be where you're supposed to be. That's good preaching, Dan. They don't think so, but it is. None of this, none of this, yeah, I buy diapers once in a while. No, 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 no. Do what you're supposed to do, and you'll be where you're supposed to be. So the question for you and me is, what should you be doing that you are or, or what haven't you been doing? And I'm just asking you to notice with me this morning from the scripture. You have Jesus in a manger in Bethlehem because a man was diligent in paying his bills on time. So what does that mean for me? It means do the right thing and you get to be in the right place. It's not magic to get us to our destiny. So, how did the shepherds hear the message of the angels? How did the shepherds get directed to the manger? Point number one, pay your bills. Point number two, 
go to work. Lord, I told you, I told you. Look at verse 8 of our text in Luke chapter 2. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. You see, whenever we read the Christmas story, I, you know, I do it, you do it. We have this tendency to put this Christmas music to it. And it's all magical for us. And rarely do we just read it practically. Watch this now. Verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping their watch, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. They were just watching and tending their sheep at midnight, which means this. Guess what? They had the graveyard shift. Just making a living. Working a job. Here's the shepherds just showing up for work. Showing up at midnight. The graveyard shift. And guess what, church? They have no idea that just going to work that night, supporting their family, that an angel and then a heavenly host of angels were going to show up also. They thought they were just going to go to work again and be with stinky sheep again. I hate this job. Does that sound familiar? I hate what I have to do. And I have to go at midnight. I looked at the schedule and the boss put me on this week for the graveyard shift. Let me see how many vacation days I've got left. See if I can get out of any of this. And here on the graveyard shift, on a night that probably they didn't even want to go, angels showed up. Can you imagine if they had called in sick or <coughs> fake sick? Just let me tell you something. Heaven shows up at that job on that night. And let me give you just a little bit of background information. The worst job that you can work is a shepherd. We know sheep are stupid and they stink, okay? That's the worst job. Historians tell us that to work that job is not only the lowest job that you can have, even if you're poor and working that job, you still end up being poor because it, it, it pays so little. Such a low-paying job. But it is a job. Can I just encourage you with something? This morning, there are always people in the church who are needing a job. And we're always praying for different people, uh, various ones who, who are looking for employment. It happens. Some, sometimes you end up in a situation where you, where you are without employment. And we are happy as pastors and, and uh, deacons. We're happy to pray for you. And I prayed over some folks, at, even at the Christmas Eve service this last week, who were looking for employment and happy to do so. And I want to also say, we've seen God answer prayers. Many, many, many folks that we prayed that God would provide employment, that he would be Jehovah Jireh to them. God has come through, and they are today working and, and thankful for the job. But let me just say this. There are also times that God is opening up doors, and he's providing something, but because that job that is available to us isn't on your radar, and it's less than your skill set or less than what you had in mind, sometimes we see people who really need a job turn it down because it's not what they wanted. They had something better in mind. And when all the while, we need to be thankful just for what God has opened up in the first place. Because, listen to me, if we're faithful in the little things, we can become ruler over much. And there are times God is saying, just be faithful in the little things and then watch what I can do after that. That's what God can do. But some people are sitting back saying, no, I, 
I don't want that. And I don't want, I really don't want that. I don't want that. When God is saying, look what I'm opening up for you. But here are these guys working the lowest of jobs on the graveyard shift. And they could easily be saying, what am I doing here tonight? And heaven says, I'm about to visit you that night just because you showed up for work and were faithful in the little things. And look what God does. He gets the news first, church, not to CEOs, not to kings, not to rulers, not to company presidents, governors, sinners, but to the working class, people who just showed up for work. God gets the news that all of creation has been waiting for, the visitation of God, the fulfillment of God loving the world so much that he would give his only begotten son, that 3,000 years of prophecies have been foretelling. It was culminating to this one, one moment, this one point on a night in a manger. And instead of telling congressmen and royalty, he chooses the lowest working class and announces, I'm coming into the world and I'm going to set you free. Hallelujah. And he tells the working class people first, the Son of God is here and you can be set free. And I can just see the shepherds high-fiving each other and saying, hot dog, it's good to have a job tonight. Point number two, go to work. See what the Lord will do when you'll be faithful in little things and go to work. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, said this. A little thing is a little thing. But faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing. A little thing is a little thing. But faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing. And these men taking the worst employment, the worst job that wouldn't even pull them out of the poverty level were faithful. And God says, your faithfulness is such a big thing that you'll be the first to hear the news of the Savior of the world. Let me remind you, church, God blesses faithfulness. I said God blesses faithfulness. I know these aren't fun points, but number one, pay your bills. Number two, go to work. You ready for number three? Can't wait, can you? Stay sexually pure. We live now in a society that if you're a virgin, you are stuck with that label, and if you are sexually active, people see it as a trophy. Look what's happened in our world and the change that we've experienced in society, even just in my lifetime. What's happened to sitcoms? If you were raised in the 50s and the 60s, you never saw two beds together on the television screen, did you? You never saw Ricky and Lucy together, or Dick Van Dyke and Laura, whatever his name was, Rob Petrie, I think. Everything has changed in our world. And now we even have commercials that glorify STDs. You'll see people on a beach saying, oh, do you, have, do you have herpes? And they're skipping along the beach and flying kites, and you're going, what kind of commercial is this? Am I telling you the truth? This is crazy. But that's exactly what our society has done. But how about Mary and Joseph? Can you imagine if Joseph and Mary are being inappropriate the night the angel shows up? Oh, well, we're getting married anyway. Can you imagine missing that destiny moment? God has picked you from generations past and said, I'm going to let you carry Jesus. You'll be the one to carry Emmanuel, and you're going to mess up with this joker? Are you kidding me? Just because he says, oh, I love you, and so since I love you, we need to be together. 
Let me tell you, at that point, dear sister, you need to be getting a clue that that's enough reason for you not to be together. So now, how does the story change if Mary and Joseph are involved immorally before the angel shows up? Listen, parents, we should be teaching our children to remain pure based upon their destiny in God. Because the issue is not so much your health or avoid getting some kind of diseases. The issue is your spiritual health. That's the most important thing. Because I want you to be ready so that on the day God calls you, you're ready to step right into the place that God has called for you and you've got nothing standing in the way of that happening. Because who knows when God's going to show up? That's what I'm trying to communicate to you today. Who knows when the angel is going to show up at the job? Who knows just because you've been faithful that special night is going to happen and God has ordained something to, uh, to be there for you? Who knows that just by writing a check you end up at the right place? And who knows, single person... That the day you have stayed sexually pure and you have held yourself for the right person, who knows when that day comes and God says, now you're ready to do what I've called you to do. When you think, what you think is a little thing, God goes, faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing to me. And here's Joseph and Mary ready on that day when the angel showed up because they had done the right thing. Staying pure, you know what? If you've remained pure, then keep praying for strength. Bless God for that. Ask God to give you strength. And if you're not, then say, God set me free. I'm going to stop in Jesus' name and by the help of the Holy Spirit. And let me just be really straight with you here on this. If you're in a relationship that is not in God's will, here's a word for you today. Get out of it. Just say, God, I repent. I repent for what I know this is not pleasing in your sight. And I repent. And if it's true love, guess what the Bible says? Bible says love is patient. Love is patient. Pay your bills. Go to work. Stay pure. And I got one more. Here's the last one. Number four. Go to church. One of the precursors to the great Azusa Street revival was something that took place in the nation of Wales. Des and Mary have forgotten more about this than I've ever learned called the Great Welsh Revival. And God used a young man, 26, 27 years old, a coal miner by the name of Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts asked God if he could see a million souls saved in Wales. And this was the precursor for when God was about to pour out his spirit on Azusa Street in Los Angeles, where God is going to use a one-eyed black preacher to bring one of the greatest revivals this nation has ever known that happened at the turn of the century. That black preacher's name was William J. Seymour. But the precursor to what took place in Azusa Street was God using young Evan Roberts, who was a coal miner. And he lived by one verse. It was the goal for him, and that was the, just the, that which was stamped upon him. He, he lived by this verse, a theme of his life. And the verse that he lived by is in John's Gospel, chapter 20. It was just one verse at the resurrection of Jesus. And the verse says this, John 20, 24. But Thomas... One of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. That was his verse. That's when Evan Roberts said, I will be at every church service just in case Jesus shows up. And he was. He showed up at every single church service, the good ones and the, and the otherwise. And guess what? A million souls did get saved. 
When I think of people who show up every time the church doors are open, I didn't think she was going to be here today. I think about Earlene Cooper. And back when your mama was alive, you and your mama showed up for things here. You showed up for weddings that you didn't even know the people getting married. You showed up for everything because the church doors were open. You have been faithful, my dear sister, and I bless you in the name of the Lord. Do you know that they said the revival was such a powerful revival in Wales that the magistrates would walk the streets wearing white gloves because there were no cases to try? The prisons had to be emptied out because God was saving people. Church, that's a revival. I have people talk to me all the time or make a comment to me and it's encouraging. Dan, I'm praying for revival. I am too. And I, don't, I can't begin to predict what, what it's going to look like when God moves upon us again. I just know that I want it. Lord, let it happen in 2015. And he will be the one who will design what it's going to look like. But I bet this, I bet it's going to affect our community. I bet it's going to make a difference in this area. It's not just about having nice services. It's not just about having great music, as wonderful as that is. It's not just about preaching. It's, not about, it's about God coming in and bringing change. What has changed for the sake of the gospel? What has changed and I believe that's what revival will look like. And I want to know, is there a church in Fort Worth who will pray with me that God will bring revival? I love this. All of the, the, one of the best stories that came from the coal mines in Wales. All of the workers were getting saved in the coal mines, but they couldn't get any work done because none of the donkeys were moving the coal because the donkeys only understood profanity and no one was cursing at them anymore. So they couldn't get them to move unless they cussed at them. <laughs> I have a dog like that at home, I think. <laughs> Not that we've ever cussed at her. And I wasn't looking at you, sweetheart. I promise I wasn't. But you know what they trace that revival back to? Evan Roberts showed up at a college meeting. You college kids here in the 910 meeting with Pastor Shaler. Evan Roberts showed up at a college meeting with 17 kids in a house. And they said that night the Spirit of God descended. You know what? We don't know when the Lord's going to show up. I just know I don't want to miss it. I know I want to be here when the Lord shows up. And ultimately... Just because they showed up on that night, 17 young people in a college meeting, and the Spirit of God descended, and ultimately a million souls came to Jesus. How magnificent of the Lord to do that. Oh, God, do it again and do it in this country. In Jesus' name. And that revival sweeps across the Atlantic. It touches people right here in the United States. It moves over to Azusa Street in Los Angeles. And God's moving by, by the power of the Spirit begins to take place. All because someone showed up at church and says, God may show up and I don't want to miss him. And you know what? Before Evan Roberts, you know who had that same kind of conviction? Simeon. Look at your Bible in Luke 2, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. What I love about that verse is it just says there was a man. Doesn't call him a priest, doesn't call him a rabbi, doesn't call him a deacon or an elder, gives him no title at all, just simply says there was a man who showed up at church. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And here's what the Bible says. Simeon, not a priest, not a pastor, 
just a devout guy is a guy who's going to show up. And the amazing part is this. The day he shows up at church, guess what happens? He shows up at church and he gets to hold in his arms the Son of God because he was faithful in the little things. Are you hearing me today, church, at all? Can you imagine just doing what you're faithful at doing? Just doing something that you're sure no one else is going to notice. No one, it's not going to be heralded. You're not going to get any awards, any prizes. You're not going to get a little star. None of that stuff. Just being faithful what God's called you to do. And he was, he was faithful to in the little things. He showed up at church and he gets to hold in his arms. Emmanuel, the son of God. And here's Simeon saying, I've waited for this day. I'm holding the Savior of the world. Just a guy who showed up at church and Jesus showed up at the same, same time. Why are you at the prayer meeting? You know what? Because Jesus may show up. Why are you at church? Because the Lord may show up. What if Jesus comes through this place, church? What if Jesus walks through this place? What if he decides to touch someone? Something inside a devout person says, if you'll be here, Jesus, I'll be here waiting on you. And here is this man, Simeon, just a man. God doesn't choose a ruler. Hear me. He doesn't choose a ruler. He doesn't choose a king. He doesn't choose anybody that he's got any title behind his name. He says he just takes a man. He takes working class people. And he says, you get the news first. And guess what, Simeon? You'll get to hold Jesus. You imagine holding the consolation of Israel, the redeemer of the planet in your arms, the man who split the calendar of history right down the middle and said there'll be B.C. and A.D. because this child was born and I get to hold him in my arms. And you know why? I'm just a guy, but I showed up at church today because being faithful in little things is a big thing to God. Destiny. I hope you've heard today it's not a spooky thing. It's doing what God wants you to do and being where God wants you to be. Here's destiny. God, I've got a financial obligation. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to do the right thing. Here's destiny. It's saying, God, I'm going to show up at the job because I'm thankful that in an economy like this, I'm just glad I have a job. And I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I may not like what it all is. I may not like everybody I'm working with. But as a believer in Jesus and one who has committed my life to you, saying I'm yours to command where you lead me, I'm going to do this for the glory of God. I'm going to do it for you, Lord. And I'm going to give it the best that I have. Whether it's a, a, a below my skill set, below my pay grade or not, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it unto you, Jesus. There's your destiny. Here's destiny. God, I'm in a relationship as a single man or a single woman. We've committed to staying pure until the day we get married. No matter what society tells us or no matter what pressure friends try to put upon us. Here's destiny. God, I'm committed to being faithful to the fellowship of believers at my church because I really want to fully embrace and understand the value of covenant relationship with a church family. And I'm going to be here. I'm going to be part of it. I'm going to give myself. I'm going to be here for the church. I'm going to be here for the hurting people. I'm going to be here for the people who have lost loved ones this year and had such a tough time getting through the Christmas season. I want to be here just to bless them and encourage them some way because I'm in covenant relationship with a church family. I'm going to be here to help. I'm going to be here to lift up the hands of those that are struggling and hurting. 
I'm going to do my part. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be at the prayer service because you know what? Jesus may show up and I don't want to miss him. Spent my life waiting for him and I don't want to miss him. And I may get to touch him and he may touch me. I don't know, church, how you feel about it, but how many of you want to be where God wants you to be in 2015? Let me see your hand. How many of you want to do what God's calling you to do for this year? Let's just lift both of our hands and say, Lord, I'm committed to you. Come on, let's do it. God, we're committed to your will. We're committed to what you have for us. And we're, we're going to remove it from being some spooky thing, some mystical thing. And we're going to be faithful with the things that you've given. What do you have in your hand? Lord, we're going to do it with all of our might. That which you've given us, that which you provided, we're going to give it to you, Jesus. Whatever you have for me, Lord, I'm committed to it. Because your will and your way matters more than anything else. Let's stand together, church, today. Just a minute, I want us to sing that little chorus, Come Holy Spirit. Oh, how we need you. Simple, simple little song. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Lord, how would you want this service to close today? I'm going to ask the pastors to come to the front. If there's anyone who says, you know, Pastor Dan, such a simple message, but something about it riveted my heart today. I have something I need to settle with God. It doesn't matter what the, which point it is. It doesn't matter. It's nobody's business, but you want to settle things with God. You want to make a statement to God by coming forward and letting one of the pastors pray for you today and anoint you with oil. Just slip out from where you are, whether you're in the balcony, in the lower floor, it doesn't matter. You just want someone to anoint you for 2015 and say, Lord, I want to, I want to make a difference. I don't want to miss you. I want to walk in my destiny, and I know my destiny is, is going to be doing what you call me to do and being what you've called me to be. Whoever that is, as we sing, I want you to just step out from where you are. Maybe you've never encountered Jesus at all. Maybe you came for some other reason. Maybe somebody just invited you to come to church today on this last Sunday of 2014. You're not even sure why you came. Guess what? It's a serendipitous experience for you today. You came for one reason, but you can come and meet Jesus if you'll let simply someone just pray for you in Jesus' name. So come on, feel free to come and step out from where you are. They'll just, just say, excuse me, I need to go find Jesus today. Do it right now as we sing. Come Holy Spirit.